The Church and State series from Kansas Reflector editor Sherman Smith and reporter Rachel Mepro examined the intersection of faith and politics in Topeka. The six-part series, along with a couple of follow-up columns from yours truly, gathered notice across Kansas and beyond. Sherman and Rachel join me today on the Kansas Reflector podcast to talk about the series and its aftermath. Sherman and Rachel, glad you're here. We're happy to be here, Clay. Great to be here. So, Sherman, let's let's start with you, as some of this kind of was was your vision. Talk about how this series came together. Yeah, well, Clay, uh, for the readers' uh, benefits, you and I and some of the other staff have engaged in a number of town hall appearances throughout the session uh, earlier this year. We went to small towns all over Kansas, hearing directly from people about what, what they're interested in, their questions about what the legislature is up to. Uh, and sometime in March, we went out to Hutchison for one of these, and we made some friends out there, and I came back to Topeka with this audio recording from a meeting of Reno County Republicans in early March, uh, where the keynote speaker was a guy named Adam Peters. He's the uh, GOP chairman for Ellis County. And right away, I think I looked at this and thought, there's some interesting things being said here. Uh, and I think I showed it to you. I don't know if you remember your first reaction. Um, it was it was pretty remarkable. Uh, it's a remarkable audio document, or I mean, even if you see a transcription of it, just to see how wide ranging it is, how many topics they cover, and then just kind of how deeply conspiratorial and odd it gets at times. And it's about an hour and 45 minutes long. And it goes off in various kind of tangents throughout. It's, you know, a lot to wrap your mind around. And this is at a time when the legislature was preparing for, I think, the final week of the, the regular part of the legislative session. And so we, we couldn't really take time to focus on it then. But then there's this three-week period before they come back uh, at the end of the session. And so there was a day where I met with Rachel, at a, and I think you were there at a coffee shop in Lawrence, and sat down and kind of thought about what we could do with this audio. And I thought, you know, it, it doesn't really make sense now to write about a disturbing conversation that happened six weeks ago. And I thought, instead of saying, here's a story about this audio recording, we could do this as a way of kind of recapping what the legislature had been up to. And there's this theme, I think, throughout the, the legislative session, uh, but also really throughout that recording, uh, of, of sincerely held religious beliefs justifying ideas um, that are really not popular and, and sometimes don't even have any other justification for why we would do this as state policy. Uh, you know, in this recording at times they say, you know, very explicitly, God is on our side and, you know, they're protecting their churches. They're trying to do the Lord's work. Uh, and then it corresponds very neatly with a bunch of stories or a bunch of policies that the, the legislature had enacted throughout the session. And so, you know, I have this little legal pad in the office with a, a makeshift outline that we sketched out where I thought, you know, we could have an opening day story that says, here's, uh, here's what they said in the audio. They're interested in forming a conservative sanctuary for Kansas, and they have some interesting ideas about how to do that. Um, but then we can focus specifically on these big picture issues of the LGBTQ community, um, attacks on women's reproductive health, um, public schools, 
uh, and issues surrounding race. You know, there's a biblical explanation uh, for why race doesn't exist during this this audio recording. And so we kind of formed this idea for a series. And when the legislature ended, we kind of set out to to do the, the work of reporting on this. And important to know, too, about this uh, audio recording that uh, it did. Uh, the meeting did take place in a church. That's right. Riverside Baptist Church in Hutchison. Right. So, um, Rachel, just to draw you in here a bit, you started at the Reflector in September. So this was your first uh, legislative session here in Kansas. Uh, Did you notice just coming to it fresh um, kind of the presence of religion at the state house as legislators worked? Yes, I think it gives you a bit of an advantage because coming into this with fresh eyes, you notice all this sort of entrenched religious beliefs and everything. Um, one thing I thought was very interesting is the fact that in each um, Senate book and House of Representative um, Action Journal, what they do for the day, there's prayers set up in front of each bit. Yeah, these are prayers that they say at the start of every session every day throughout the the legislative session um, before the the Senate and the House can start their work. They have somebody come out and say a prayer, and then they transcribe that prayer and record it in their official journal every day. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the subjects covered in the series. Sherman, you you mentioned them briefly a a few moments ago. Um, But let's start uh, with um, attacks on the LGBTQ community, particularly uh, folks who are transgender. Uh, talk about the, the role of those attacks and how those uh, kind of interface with interfaith, interface with religion. You know, there's this growing body of evidence that shows that, in particular, the attacks on the transgender community that we have seen in recent years are really rooted in religious beliefs. Uh, that's very different from the message you hear sometimes from the supporters of this legislation that say, you know, they're trying to protect fairness in women's sports, uh, or there's a, a so-called Women's Bill of Rights, which uh, is about protecting women in public spaces ostensibly. Um, but this is really about a religious ideology that they want to impose on the rest of the world. Uh, so we see this in legislative debate where Uh, As we document in the story, there are legislators who talk about wanting to do this on Ash Wednesday, that being a significant thing. Um, Senator, a couple years ago, using Genesis as a reason for why we we only have, you know, God only created a man and a woman. You know, there's no no transgender here. Uh, And it's important to remember that these are not bills that legislators in Kansas are thinking up on their own. These are bills that are written by a hate group, uh, the Alliance Defending freedom. Uh, They're classified as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, and they have a lot of documentation for why they are a hate group. Um, But they they exist to attack the LGBTQ community from a faith-based perspective. They're the ones who write these laws. They're the ones who are raising money to support the the political figures who support these laws. Uh, And and that's the catalyst for doing this. Uh, You know, perhaps there are some legislators who are doing this because of political motivations. But the underlying theme in all of this is uh, sincerely held religious beliefs. Well, and also important to note here when you're talking about these these laws and this kind of national group that's behind them, this is a strategy and this is a legislative agenda that you're seeing play out in you know dozens of other states across the country this session. That's right. It's not unique to Kansas. 
Um, so Rachel, let's, uh, it seems like we're changing topics, but I think as we'll see in today's podcast and in this series, kind of all of these things blend together. So school vouchers were a huge, uh, sticking point this session. You know, there were several attempts made ultimately unsuccessful to play, um, to pass a voucher bill. Tell me about how public education uh, ended up being caught up in this kind of debate. Yeah, so actually I think the LGBTQ matter really ties well into school matter because what we're seeing this session is kind of a shift away from public education and encouragement into private education so that parents have like the ability to give their children moral groundings that maybe the public schools, um, some lawmakers think that they're not doing a good enough job of doing this. So what we're seeing with the voucher program is that people want their kids to go to private schools in order to get this sort of moral and religious education. We're seeing that pushed by um, a couple lawmakers. I think Rep. Christy Williams is a big one there. Um, In one of her previous justifications for this kind of voucher program, she said it would help fill a God-sized hole in some people and some Kansas children's hearts. And then again with the LGBTQ matter, one reasoning that we need private schools is because our teachers are sort of indoctrinating kids with a woke sexualized agenda. That's a direct quote from some of the legislature Republicans. Yeah, well, and it was actually rather remarkable when we, I mean, earlier in the session when we even heard that quote for the first time about the, you know, the God-shaped hole in children's hearts. Because again, as Sherman was saying with the LGBTQ attacks, there there's this attempt made to, when talking about these issues for the general public to kind of sand off the religious edges of them, to talk about them in terms of, you know... Um, fairness in women's sports, women's bill of rights. And, you know, likewise, I think with a lot of the, the school voucher thing, there was an, there was a similar attempt to say, oh, this doesn't have anything to do with what it obviously has something to do with. It was branded as a school choice issue, right? Even though most Kansas counties, at least half Kansas county, Kansas counties don't have a private school available. Um, and even though the, the voucher itself is not going to be enough money for a low income student to actually leave their, their, their public school and go to a private school. Um, This was very clearly just an attempt to funnel about $150 million of state funding, uh, public taxpayer money, into the families of of students who are already in private schools, primarily religious schools. Well, and that's that's ultimately the point whenever you're talking about uh, private schools or school vouchers is the ultimate beneficiaries of these programs are probably ultimately going to be religious institutions. That's right. Or maybe we could see some micro schools set up by homeschooling parents, but that would also be the same intensely religious group we're looking at. But some of the other um, legislation that maybe didn't get so much attention as the vouchers that I thought was very interesting was parental rights legislation that made its reappearance again for the third year. Um, It's basically saying that parents should have the right to take their kids out of any curriculum, any agenda, even the YouTube videos that they don't want their child watching. And um, this would be done to protect the kid from any worldview that the parent doesn't deem moral or suitable for their religious upbringing. So I think that was huge. Like that one would have very worrying implications. And this was talked about extensively during that conversation in Reno County that we have the audio from. Uh, And I think there is a really odd comparison to what's happening in public schools to some sort of uh, ancient uh, religious warfare involving 
Janissaries, which we don't have time to get into what that even means, but the idea was they're they're teaching things to your children so they can corrupt them and turn them against you. And they identified parental rights legislation as one of the answers. They also talked about legislation that Representative Patrick Penn, a Republican from Wichita, apparently has written up but did not introduce this year that would uh, enable parents to sue teachers directly for teaching them things that they don't want them to be taught. Um, so, Sherman, Kansas voters turned out en masse to protect a woman's rights, women's rights to abortion services uh, when we had a constitutional amendment vote last summer. But we saw during this legislative session that um, lawmakers were still interested in passing abortion restrictions. Um, several new abortion restrictions became law. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think... Um You know, if you were like Rachel and just moved to the state in September, you might not have even known there was a referendum last year on abortion. Uh, We saw over and over again these efforts to restrict access to abortion um, from uh, provisions that would be put into laws that seemingly wouldn't have anything to do with abortion. There's an effort to get more gynecologists in Kansas. uh, So there's a new program to help uh, with with medical students, with their expenses of going to school. It's kind of a scholarship program, but there's a provision in there that says you can't do anything uh, that, that deals with learning on how to provide abortions, uh, and if you ever do, then you have to pay back all the money with, I think, a 15% interest markup. Uh, but there's also... Um, you know, bills like the the born again, the born alive bill, excuse me, uh, which, you know, pretends that there's this issue where you try to abort a baby, but the baby survives the abortion. Uh, and so now you have to keep the baby alive, something that doesn't actually exist. But we have this law now that says you have to keep the baby alive if the abortion fails. Um there's there was a, an attempt to prevent abortion providers from obtaining liability insurance through a state fund that they're required to pay into, uh, and it, you know a couple of other ideas that came up throughout the session. Um, a lot of money that was being poured into pregnancy crisis centers now to help actively discourage women from seeking abortions. Well, and again with crisis pregnancy centers, again these are often religiously affiliated. Uh, institutions or or, or what, whatever you would would call them they you know they they have a theological belief they're trying to persuade women to take a certain route because of um, their owner's religious religious uh, compunctions and this was I think really spilled out late in the session by representative Henry Helgerson he's a a Democrat um, but he's also raised in the Catholic faith and he talked about feeling conflicted between what he personally personally believes and what his constituents want and what the people of Kansas made clear that they want in the vote last year. And he said, we are crossing a line now by imposing our religious beliefs on other people. Yeah. Um, so finally, in terms of, of topics that were kind of covered in this series, um, we've heard the buzzwords of critical race theory before. That's, that came up last session and perhaps even earlier. But kind of racial issues in Kansas also have become part of the discussion here, right? Yeah, and I think this is something that is always kind of just bubbling below the surface in the legislative session. Um, you know, we had... 
the governor's response to the kind of social unrest after the murder of George Floyd in 2020 was to form a commission. And it involved, you know, police officers and district attorneys and advocates as well. And they they looked at issues, you know, racial injustice issues around the state and came up with a list of proposals. The legislature effectively threw that in the trash and then used it as a uh, reason to attack the governor during her reelection campaign last year. Um, but we see, you know, over and over again, groups like Progeny who come to the state house trying to enact reforms to benefit, um, in particular, young people um, who are often targeted uh, on the basis of race. And, and those kind of concerns are just routinely ignored by the legislature. Um, they don't pay attention to them. We saw in legislative debates this year, you know, ideas like uh, this, this increasing penalties for fleeing and eluding police, uh, really heated debate over the idea that, you know, black people have a reason to fear police. They might run because they're scared. And as this was being talked about on the floor, we had another legislator run up and say, you know, how dare you keep talking about race? Nothing here is about race. Mm -hmm. And of course, Representative Ford Carr, Democrat from Wichita, went back to the well and said, you know, I'm not saying anybody here is racist, but you play the odds. Somebody here is racist. And and so it, it really moved this conversation into the forefront in a way that then spilled over in a more epic fashion that I think Rachel can talk about. Yeah, I mean, I think his exact words is a white lawmaker was saying was that the body, the House of Representatives was too loving and too compassionate to be racist. And then Ford Carr um, in a very fiery speech, as we mentioned, uh, he really, he went after it. But again, we've been constantly hearing this rhetoric of like racism throughout the entire session. Mostly recently, um, some top legislature Republicans issued a warning to um, Representative Ford Card for some of his other mentions of slavery and racism, saying, um, please watch your words, be more decorous, or we might have to eventually do, take some action. And in response, we saw that um, he said something like, it's my, my job to protect your feelings. It's my job to help represent black Kansans. And a lot of, um, I would say a lot of Republicans are outraged by this idea of racism in it. We're seeing this bleed over into everything, and that's why we're hearing so much about critical race theory in schools as well. But it's also important to note, Sherman, that the conversation of this type, which, I mean, it's it's quite extreme, some of what's said. It's it's on this this tape from the Reno That's County right. Republicans meeting. Like they they deal with this topic at, at some length. Right. There's this idea that everybody is descended from Adam and Eve and everybody's the you know children of Noah. And so their their idea is that race doesn't exist and anybody who is claiming a a race based uh uh accusation is being disingenuous because we know race doesn't exist. But they also then pivot to say, you know, really demeaning things about why black people are more likely to go to prison or targeted by police. And so it's it's almost uh, it's just the sad irony of how they can justify ignoring what we we know are, are racial injustices. In Indeed, as you might tell, just if you've been listening to this, this I mean, this series in many ways feels like it covers everything and it, it kind of covers so many of the, the hot buttons from, from this session. 
So let's talk about the reactions a little bit. Um, I think it's important to note, first of all, that both Rachel and Sherman, uh, as this series began publishing, then uh, went on extended vacations. Yeah, we, we chewed the firing pin off a grenade, handed it to Clay, and said, have fun. We let him take the heat for it. Um, but we but, didn't actually take heat, right, Clay? Well, I mean, so, I mean, so this is what's really remarkable to me. We were talking about this just be- before we started uh, recording the podcast. So we saw a lot of commentary come out about this series. And, you know, if you're in the news business, it will often happen that if you have a big, spicy story of one kind or another, other outlets will follow up with that story. They'll do some reporting on their own. They'll try to, for, you know, spin it forward in some way. Um, you know, that's usually the, the procedure for when you have a big story or, or a scoop of some kind. But what we saw after this series was it actually served as a real spur to conversation. There were uh, editorials written in the Kansas City Star, in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch of all places. Um, We saw columns written by representative, uh, the representative Reverend Tobias Slingenziepen. That was in the uh, Topeka Capital Journal. Uh, Senate Minority Leader Dinah Sykes wrote an op-ed that was also published in the Kansas City Star. the Insight Kansas uh, syndication service that sends out uh, columns had a columnist uh, write about this as well. So, and, and then you know, Rachel, you you spoke about the series on uh, KCUR uh, as well. So, I think it's really fair to say that there was a a lot of dialogue and a lot of conversation that was spurred by this series and. It really was almost immediately just it was not people trying to report what we'd reported, but just reacting to to what the series put out there. And so I guess for Rachel and and Sherman, was that um, kind of a surprise to you at all? Not really, because if you look at it, like just listening to that audio alone, it was shocking. Like it's shocking things to hear because, I mean, we as journalists, we see what happens. We see the end result of this logic, but usually we don't get like to hear the reasoning behind it. And this was just, as you said earlier, it was taking several masks off and seeing this is what lies behind everything we're seeing. I always have some uneasiness about these kind of projects because I've I've written a number of like in-depth investigative kind of stories over the years and sometimes they get some attention sometimes they kind of just fall off the face of the earth and, and nobody wants to pay attention to them. Uh so I think it was uh, just a few days before the first story hit that it occurred to me that that this may be of some consequence as I was talking to uh, somebody for one of the stories um, who said, I'm, I'm really troubled by what you're telling me is in this audio. Uh, should we report this to police? You know, yeah, they were very bothered by what I was saying. Uh, and, and I thought maybe this will have a, a broader reach than I anticipated. And I think it, it did, you know, we, this, the day one story wound up being a, among our top two or three all-time most read stories. Uh, and I think this kind of reaction uh, conversation that we've started is perhaps unprecedented for the Kansas Reflector. Well, and I think it really speaks to the power that we, that journalists and, you know, uh, opinion writers or in, anybody really who's, who's writing for the public can have, you know, there wasn't much about this story that was actually greatly secret. I mean, even the recording in and of itself, 
the uh, the the guy who gave that you know Adam Peters who gave that speech much of his speech had already been posted to rumble you know several weeks before our series was even published I don't think it had been viewed by more than a couple of dozen people um, so it but it's it's really about assembling all of these pieces and just showing how these things connect in a way that frankly a lot of people don't really have the time or or energy to put them together and see them that way and i think we can keep this conversation going as well you know i i had people reaching out to me who were saying basically uh, i i am a faith leader in this area and i'm very disturbed that this is how other faith leaders are making us all look and i want to make sure people understand that you know, faith could be used in a, in a positive way as well. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Rachel, any final thoughts? Well, just read our series again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, always good advice if you have a few extra minutes. Uh, Sherman Smith, Kansas Reflector Editor-in-Chief, Rachel Mepro, uh, reporter, thank you so much for taking some time to talk today. Thank you, Clay. Thanks. Thanks.